um, second piece of that is God is focusing on developing your character. When you're in your 20s and 30s, it's always about God developing character. So when I speak in youth with a mission settings or with some of my younger leader friends I walk with, I always say this to them. When you're in your 20s and 30s, it's always more about what God's building in you than what he's doing through you. Mm. And I remind them that their obedience to Jesus triggers God moving through you. But for example, let's say you're on a missions trip and you, you happen to lead five people to Jesus on that trip. Obviously, write that down, exclamation points, highlight it in your journal. But underneath that should be, here's the ways of God I learned. Here's what I saw about the character of God. Here's how I saw God. So in other words, it's building stuff inside you that is forwarded beyond that one circumstance. So in, in that season of your life where, again, uh, um, I often find young people, they, they look at, you know, our, our founder of Facebook and they all think their life should be like that at 20. I should be. So if they're 25 and they don't have a house and the car and the spouse and the kids, they think something's wrong. And I often remind them, look, no, it's a time where God lets you experiment to discover your giftings and your strengths and all that kind of thing. But he's also building character. So be faithful and find godly people to disciple you. In that. Mm. The third phase usually begins somewhere in your late late 30s could be mid 30s but late 30s and and can run until you know oh maybe a a a season of time into your you know 50s and in this season god continues to build on the sovereign foundations and the glimpses of calling and character development and one of the things that he does during this time is he begins to help you recognize your unique methodologies. In other words, the gifts that you have become stronger and you know, you've lifted weights, so to speak with them a little bit more. And you, you kind of do this, Kevin, you go, when I use these gifts, natural abilities, acquired skills, spiritual gifts in this kind of setting, stuff happens. Mm. And so whether that's your uh, NFL football player or whether you're a, a business person or you're planting churches, you, you just realizing, wow, okay, this is kind of, this is, and, and, and when you hit 40 ish, you kind of can go like, okay, like when you're 20, you got all this out here. When you're 40, it's like, at least I know it's not this right it's more in here. And so there's these unique methodologies that begin to arise in this season of your life. And along with that, you start having a greater sense of life purpose. Because you realize, again, it's not all this, it's somewhere in here and you start dialing in. It's the letting go of trying to be well-rounded and start leaning into here in your early to mid 40s into your 50s, what you do well. And then the fourth phase is kind of the mother load phase. He calls it your major role. Mm. And he said it's where um, uh, the combination of all these pieces in your life that God, the role that he's created for you he slides you into, i.e. Moses into, now it's time to go back to Egypt at 80. 80 yeah. is the preparation for 40. Right. You know? Or Jesus getting baptized and the spirit comes on him and now's the time, you know? And so um, with that, we begin to recognize, okay, there's the major role. And then Bobby calls it convergence. And what he means by that, it's like if I do a math equation, Kevin, with it, it would be um, seasoned, tested character plus the mature use of your gifts, plus a God-determined sphere of influence. Mm. And when that all goes and combines like that, 
let's just say your your late 50s there there's a 10 15 year run of your life where it's like you sense i am fulfilling the purposes for which i've been born wow and um and then the last phase you know bobby calls it afterglow and what it represents is 70 ish you know again it could be late 60s could be into your mid 70s but it's where you, the key of it is you let go of any positional influence you have for the sake of relational influence to start pouring back into the 60s, 50s, 30s, et cetera. Wow. And, and so remember, as we started this conversation, only one in three finish well. So that's what a finishing well look, life looks like. So the rabbit trails tend to be, for example, as a young man or young woman trying to grab position too fast and, and then you burn out at 40 and then you're not interested in fulfilling God's call. I just want to survive. Or it could be the rabbit trails of bitterness or resentment or sin or those kinds of, now we have a redeeming God. So he can redeem all that as we align to him. Sure. But, but that's the, that's and so what we do actually in our leadership journey that you asked me about earlier, Kevin, one of the things that we do is we take the months of April and May and we give those two months to helping people flesh this out in their lives. So it it gets pretty exciting, but God's shaping process is something as disciples that we've got to understand and come alongside others in, because I think we can just chase the end result, but by the time we get there, we're not really prepared. And when God's trying to push stuff through us, we fall apart. Yeah. Make sense? It does, Dave. Boy, that's so good. I have not heard of Bobby Clinton. It seems to me that John Eldridge wrote a book. He must've gotten Bobby Clinton stuff, uh, but Eldridge wrote a book almost similar to that in terms of the five phases where, you know, yeah. I think may have used man. Like, yeah. 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 I know those. Yeah. Where, where you're the uh, beloved son to the yes. cowboy. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and teaching a group of men from John's book on that, I think it fathered by God, I think. Is yes, the name that's that it. Book. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what we did is took them through those. And then at the very end on like the last weekend we were with them, I laid out this Bobby Clinton stuff because then it also kind of created a bigger oh, yeah. bend for it to lay on. But yeah, the developmental side, you know, which is really disciple making, isn't it? Right. Well, and the, the great thing, and I just was also thinking about uh, Dan Allender. I don't know if you know Dan out on the I West Coast. I don't know him, but I know of him, yes. And, and that whole idea of helping people to understand their story, that our life is telling a story. We don't have that in our culture. Other cultures... Oh understand that better, but our culture is, is not, as we've lost a little bit of touch with that, which I think has affected our, our understanding of discipleship. So let me, let me kind of see if I've got a summary of where we've been, uh, just to okay. make sure we're all still there. So this idea of vocation that, that God has uniquely gifted and shaped us and called us and given us certain, uh, certain things that we're naturally gifted in, along with certain spiritual giftings and desires. So there's, there's a sense of, of vocation. And that is, that is kind of our calling, that, that that's who God wants us to be. Let's shift a little bit into discipleship. I know I didn't summarize that as well as you could no, have No, that's it. great. It's great. Um, let me just ask you, you gave a definition of disciple making in your, in your book uh, that if I've written it down here right, it's uh, reproducing the character, ways, and mission of Jesus in those around you, expecting them to multiply the same in others. Did I get it right? Right on. Yeah. All right. All right. So t- tell us a little bit about that. And this, this is why I want to uh, spend some time on this. We hear a lot about Christians, but we don't hear a lot about disciples. 
Uh, the, the scripture, I think, only really refers to, Christ, to, to followers of Jesus as Christians about two or three times. Yes. Jesus is always talking about, if you want to be my disciple, come and be my disciple, follow yes. me. Um, so what is it that, that, you know, give us a little bit of understanding about how did we get lost on discipleship in our culture? Your definition seems really straightforward and easy. Why aren't, why aren't more people talking about this? Why does it feel like we, we're, you know, you're awakening us to something that we should have known all along? Hey, I, I know. I, I can feel that too, Kevin. And I, I think somewhere in our culture, we got, um, so I'll, I'll say this and I'll flesh it out. We got Bible study centric. Yeah. And, um, and the way to grow is, is knowledge of the word versus Jesus teaching us that it's actually the transformation of the heart. And the word of God is meant to transform the heart. But I think what happens is, especially the age we live in today, where, you know, we, we have the joy of going on a, online and you can get about any information. What's happening in Russia today? What's happening in Jamaica today? What's the score of the game? I mean, it's just a remarkable thing. Right. But with that information, I think we have um, compromised, not, not purposely, but compromised at times being satisfied with information versus going all the way through the process of letting God transform our hearts and renew our minds. And um, I often will tease pastors, like if I'm speaking at pastors gatherings, I will, I will say to them, you know, one of the greatest hindrances to disciple making is Bible studies. And they, of course, I got their attention. And I say, I'm not, I'm not lowering the Bible. I'm keep, keep that here. All I'm saying is, I'm raising disciple making because disciple making always asks the question, how does this apply to my life? Or how do I obey this in my life? Where Bible studies can often be a lot of information, then let's close in prayer. Yeah. Now you can, you can transform a Bible study into real disciple making by asking two questions. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you tonight or today? And secondly, how are you going to obey this in your life? Yeah. And so one of the things that we deal with a lot is the process of transformation, which um, you and I may have chatted about before, but it's a, and, and it's, it's for the first time we've kind of uh, printed it here in the new book, but it's a process where when God reveals something to us, in other words, it's kind of the, that word in Greek is the parting of curtains where like, I didn't see it. Oh, now I see it. And you know, when you're preaching on a Sunday morning, someone gets revelation. It's like, oh my gosh, well, that's the Holy Spirit parting the curtains because it had been there all along, right. but now I see it. And our response to that is, is really simple. It's either disobedience or obedience. Right. And it's, you know, Jesus in Matthew 7, he who hears my word and does it, obedience, is a wise man who, he who hears my word, same premise, and doesn't do it, disobedience, is a man who is foolish. And I think what's happened, Kevin, is oftentimes we have a, a culture of knowledge and learning the Bible, but we're short on anybody showing us how to make that transformational in our life. Does that make sense? That does. That's really good. You know, somehow we, uh, and it's amazing how frequently we've all done this, but we've read Jesus's commission, I'll, again, to use your, your word yeah. there. Uh, and we said, when Jesus said, go and teach them to, it seems like we've said, teach them to know everything that I've commanded you. But he doesn't say that. He says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Yeah. So uh, what a great shift. I, I, I don't want to move off of this until we 
hit this really hard, that discipleship is all about obedience. It's not about what we know unless we're also obeying what we know. And there is in too many of us uh, a big gap between what I know God wants and what I'm actually living out in my, in my life. And I love what you're saying, Dave, and I, I know this is hard for those of us who've been to seminary, hard for us who uh, are church leaders and Bible study uh, leaders to hear, uh, but we have been teaching for information rather than teaching for obedience for a long time, and it's weakened, it's really weakened our discipleship. In fact, uh, boy, I've got a, a couple of things, but before we get there, I want to ask you this. Um, is, you're, you're actually taking discipleship outside of the church. Mm-hmm. You're saying, wait a minute, uh, most people would think, we, I got to come into the church building and get myself discipled. You've actually said where you work, wherever you're spending your life in your vocation, is probably one of the best places to begin to do discipling. Could you say a bit about, for, for those of us who spend a lot of time in church, why did, why did you move it outside the church? <laughs> That's great, Kevin. Yeah. And, I, and I, do, I really do believe that the local church is supposed to be a disciple-making hub, you know? But I think, again, um, some of the work that we do uh, with an organization that we're part of called discipleship.org, they did a, we did a survey amongst ourselves a number of years ago, and we found out that um, it's around 80%, again, give or take, of pastors have never been discipled. And so when you speak to them of that, they, they relegate it to the education department of the church. Yeah. And, and, and again, there in, in most seminaries, there's not even a disciple making 101 course. So it's just not there. And, and I think one of the things that we have to look at is disciple making is still Jesus's original plan to change the world. Right. Starts with the church and we, um, I mean, we have every vocation there on a Sunday morning. I don't mean literally, but you know what I mean. Generally, we have uh, dozens of vocations represented. And part of this is getting the church outside the walls of the church. And I think in light of COVID and all this, it's some of that's been, it's like the Holy Spirit's been nudging us. Come on, we, we've got to step up to some things. And and when you look at Matthew 28, where it says, go therefore and make disciples, in the, the original language there, it means this as you are going, make disciples. So in other words, as you're going to work, as you're in the car going to the store with someone. So it's like, it could almost be like, um, as you are breathing, make disciples. And so I think it's one of those things that um, we've often felt like it's the super spiritual or it's guys like you and me who are pastoral that we're supposed to be the disciple makers. But as Sonia and I were just doing on our podcast today, talking about this, the reality is, like the best person to disciple a governmental leader is a governmental leader who's walking in the ways of God, because they're going to get the nuances of that person's life. And we could say the same about the book, the, you know, the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker, right? We could say the same thing. And so, yes, a lot of this has to do with um, kind of making it simple. Like if we want to change the world, if we want to change our society, the way to do it, it's very Jesus-like, it's stealthy. You don't have to go announce it all to everybody. But if we could quietly begin to disciple people who work in different segments of society, first in their own walk with Jesus, but then secondly, 
and with as much enthusiasm, getting them connected to say, now let's look at the ways of God and how God's character is expressed through what you do. That is a game changer. And, yeah. and I, think, I think, Kevin, one of the missing pieces on this, which again, we address in the book, is how the character of God is directly associated to vocations. And, and it's like we obviously see Jesus as the shepherd, Psalm 23, you know, and so therefore it's easy to, for us to see how a shepherd of a flock is, is in their vocation. But we have to realize, like, one of the fun ones for me is thinking of the God of technology. Mm. Because, you know, we, you and I remember when we first got online and we'd hear the bomb, 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 you know, we, we remember all that. Well, today, if we're not on, you know, and that sometimes would take 30 seconds to a minute just to get on. If we're not on in three seconds now, we're banging our computer, like, what's the heck, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But, but have we ever stopped to think of the speed processing of God? That right now, he knows where the littlest ladybug is in, uh, in Japan. He knows what cycle Mars is on. And he knows what that person's doing in Russia right now. And God's processing speed is faster than I can click my fingers. And so our processing speed of our technology is a minuscule representation of an aspect of God's character. Wow. And, and, I, and you know, it's easy to put that, like, say, on construction. Someone who's called to, to business and construction God is the one that laid out the plan with gopher wood of the ark, the, the way the temple was. God, every vocation that you look at, you can tether back to scripture in the sense of God's character. He, his first vocation was expressed through Adam as a gardener. Right. You know, we see, uh, like when we, Cheryl and I love Hawaii, we met there, we're married there, we're missionaries out of there for years. But when we go back there, sometimes we get up early in the morning and we'll watch the sunrise and how you see it's dark. And then like if you're on the island of, of Oahu, you see it coming over Diamond Head. And all of a sudden, it just, the, the, it just gets a little bit lighter. And then you see the first rays popping through. And then you watch as she, the sun, kind of finally moves all the way to that place of majesty over the Pacific Ocean. That, the design of that requires an artist. Yeah. That's God. God the artist. And so when you, when you look at these things, and we flesh it out a bit more in The Great Opportunity, I think it's really important, Kevin, that people tether what they do to God's character so they realize, oh, this is what God's trying to push through me to show the world. So, and, and by the way, I think he also got some fishermen and said, I'm going to use your skill at fishing and teach you how to fish for a different kind of catch. Exactly. So it's exactly. a great thing. Yeah. Let me ask this question. Um, what, what do I do? How do I, I'm going to get practical with you for just a okay. second. Well, let me ask you, before I go there, let me ask this question, because I want to make sure that everybody who's not a professional pastor listening to us catches this. Can I be a disciple if I'm not also a disciple maker? Okay, so ask that a different way. In other words, um, you said earlier that, uh, you know, you think that the disciple makers are those of us who are pastors or church leaders. But if I'm a disciple, Jesus expects me to be a disciple maker. It's for all of us, right? It's not, so, yes. so it's not that, oh, I'm not ready to be a disciple. It's that Jesus looked at these, these 11 guys and said, go into all the world 
and make disciples. Yeah. And I just, I sometimes think about that. These are guys that, that, you know, they're, they're, as we just said, these are fishermen, they're, there's no big transportation, they don't have the internet. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you can do a little bit over here in your area, he said, the whole world is now yours, 11 guys, that's what I'm asking you to do. Yeah. And they didn't feel prepared. They had just abandoned abandoned him, uh, or they were about to abandon him. So um, I guess my point is I want to make sure everybody listening to us is hearing, and I want to make sure I'm hearing it right from you, that this is for everybody. Yes. The, the, yeah. the idea of helping others to make disciples from, to, to, uh, from how do I want to say this now? The idea of who's supposed to be making disciples is it's every disciple. Yes. 